0: I want to ask a question tonight and hopefully give some answer to it. Is the pandemic a sign of end times? Now, we're going to be primarily in the Gospel of Matthew, but we'll be in other sections of Scripture tonight. You know, one of the driving forces of missions and evangelism and the Great Commission and church planting in the book of Acts was the emphasis on the soon return of Jesus Christ there was anticipation there was expectation I believe personally in the physical imminent return of Christ it was a part of what we talked about in the days of the Jesus movement when God swept across this land he's coming back Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. It it was something that resonated with us. Could this be the time? Could this be the season in that time of unrest and uncertainty, when there was uh, strife, when there was a battle, when there was the Vietnam War, when all these things were unraveling? Could the Lord be coming now? Look, Look at all the signs around us. No one knows the hour. No one knows the day. But imminent means it could happen before we take our next breath. Warren Wiersbe said, The church has known for 2,000 years that Jesus is coming again, and yet many believers have become lethargic and drowsy. They're no longer excited about the soon coming of the Lord. As a result, there's little effective witness given that the Lord is returning. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, the first book in the New Testament, written by Matthew, predominantly to a Jewish audience. And Matthew writes to affirm, without any question of a doubt, that Jesus Christ, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, was in fact the promised Messiah that had been talked about in the Old Testament. And so, Matthew 24, in verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? When and what? The two things that are sure. Jesus talked about the coming judgment of Jerusalem. That would happen in AD 70 when the temple would be destroyed, when the Jews would be scattered, when Masada would fall, when everything would fall apart in Israel in AD 70, which happened some 35 years after Christ descended into heaven. And then the final judgment at the end of the age. So this teaching is taking place on the Mount of Olives. Now in the margin of your Bible, would you just write Zechariah 14:4, Because Zechariah 14:4 4 tells us that there's a day when his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, And the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. That was a prophecy of Zechariah hundreds of years before Christ came to earth and thousands of years before his promised second coming. You say, well, how did he know? God revealed it. God showed him that at the end, when Christ comes to reign and rule, that he will come on the Mount of Olives. Now, my family and I have had the privilege of standing on that mountain multiple times. And it never ceases to amaze me how the Bible comes alive when you're in Israel. Here's an interesting thing about the Mount of Olives. There was a hotel that was going to be built on the Mount of Olives a number of years ago. And as they began to buy the land and do the work, they discovered that there was a major fault line, a major fault line on the Mount of Olives. And what they discovered really was that God put that fault line in when He made the heavens and the earth, so that when Jesus came back, it's a fault line, it's going to split so they never built a hotel. Don't ever think God doesn't know what he's doing. So let's look at this crisis. The crisis will intensify. It will intensify. Now, Jesus has been talking about deceptive teachers, destructive events, disturbing trends, and deadly disease deceptive teachers, destructive events, disturbing trends, and deadly disease. The crisis will intensify. As populations grow, as we've gone from millions of people on the planet to billions of people on the planet, all these things intensify. What makes it more real in this day and time is that we know all of this 24-7. There's a 24-7 news cycle. We we can find out about something that happens six states over in a matter of seconds by our social media thread, by our connection with people that we know on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. It it, it's just the it really is a small world after all. You can get anywhere in the world in twenty four hours. You can find out things about what's going on in places you've never visited. It's going to intensify. Matthew 24 and verse 6. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. Notice what Jesus says. These are, all these things are going to increase. Don't be afraid. See that you are not frightened. For these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Verse 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. It does seem the world is unraveling, but whatever you believe about end times, this much is true. You can take this to the bank Christ will ultimately triumph. That's a promise. That's more sure than the ground I'm standing on. Christ will ultimately triumph. Hallelujah. Thank God you and I are on the winning side. Secondly, this world and history is going somewhere. History is not just moving randomly. History is his story moving to a conclusion. It is moving toward a prophesied end that's what the book of revelation talks about and jesus tells us that there would be a time remember his disciples have asked him this privately how do we know when you're coming back there will be a time of massive devastation famines pestilence wars and earthquakes well right now we're in a debt crisis in america we're not talking about that much right now but global economies are being impacted People are losing their investments. Businesses will not survive some of this. There may be consolidation of businesses. We know that there's been a stimulus uh, package and bailout passed this week. But if God doesn't intervene, in some ways it's a Band-Aid on a hemorrhage. It will not ultimately fix our problems. And our problems are built in the depravity of man and living in a fallen world. We're in a war with a virus. We have destructive weather patterns, Now, I don't, I'm not talking about the global warming thing, so don't send me an email. What I am saying is that this world is groaning. The Bible says creation groans. This world is groaning for God to come and restore order. We have Global terrorism, there's famine. Jesus indicates a day of worldwide famines. We're seeing reports of the locusts that are just sweeping through the continent of Africa right now. Earthquakes. Now, let me just give you some facts about earthquakes. Between 1890 and 1950, there was an average of two to four earthquakes a year in the world. Two to four, 1890 to 1950. In the 1950s, there were nine earthquakes in the world. In the 1960s, 13. In the 1970s, 51. In the 1980s, 86. In the 1990s, nearly 2,000. And we don't know yet because they just keep happening. They've been happening in the last few weeks in Utah and in other areas. Just crazy, the number of earthquakes. Here's what a seismologist said. It is almost as though the earth's plates are gyrating in anticipation of the world's greatest earthquake. That the plates are gyrating in anticipation of the world's greatest earthquake. You know when the world's greatest earthquake is going to be? When Jesus descends from heaven over the Mount of Olives and it splits because everything in every life is sealed in that moment. Hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, straight line winds. The, the thing that worries me, is, it doesn't worry me, it just bothers me, more than the crisis that are all around us and the signs that are all around us, is the lack of prayer in the church. That we just want to go back to business as usual. Lord, bless my family. Amen. Lord, bless this food. Amen. We are not equipped to face the crisis with petty prayers. Lost people can pray those prayers. Bless my family. God, if you're up there anywhere, bless my family. God, if you're up there anywhere, thank you for the food. Appreciate the farmers. You can be a moralist. You can be a deist. You can be religious religious. And pray those prayers. What I'm talking about is we've had enough crisis and storms and setbacks to cry out to God, and yet we don't do it. We just don't do it. So what is it going to take for the people of God to get off of themselves and get on their knees and cry out to God? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 21 and verse 11.'t don't, you don't have to worry about turning there. I'm just going to read it. And there will be great earthquakes, Luke 21 verse 11, and then I'll pick up in verse 25. and there will be great earthquakes and in various places, excuse me, plagues and famines and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven, verse 25. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now take a deep breath and listen carefully. I want to take you back to 1995 1995 some of your kids weren't born then but i want to take you back to 1995 we should not be surprised about what's going on in the world if we read our bible and we should not be surprised if we read the bible with the newspaper in one hand or the remote control in one hand and the bible in the other because the bible speaks to what's going on today 1995, the World Health Organization said, quote, The world is ripe for super plagues of apocalyptic proportions. In 1996, the director of the World Health Organization said, We are standing on the brink of a global crisis in infectious diseases. For many of these diseases, there is no treatment, cure, our vaccine that's 25 years ago you know what it didn't happen that year so we just kind of went well you know that's just some scaremonger out there we should have been listening then and we ought to be listening now we should have been reading our bibles and crying out to god then we ought to be reading our bibles and crying out to god now secondly a crisis is going to bring out the worst in people it's going to bring out the worst in people I watched a video uh, yesterday of people just walking into a drugstore and stealing things and people doing nothing to stop them. Depravity has no boundaries. People are hoarding and their neighbors don't have anything. We are disobeying requests to stay home. we got a right to assemble. We have the freedom of worship. We have the freedom of assembly. We have the freedom of speech. We're still doing that. We just happen to be doing that through technology right now. But let's not be naive. Yes, let's not be stupid and ignore the warnings. And we still have a chance to share the gospel. They can't tell us what to do. That is selfish. That is self-centered. They are not telling us we cannot preach the gospel. They are not telling us we cannot witness to our neighbors. They are just asking us to self-isolate so that we can flatline the curve on this. What I'm praying doesn't flatline is our understanding of how to use our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever else you're using, for something more than selling something like a recipe. It's got to be bigger than that. Let's just stop with the trivial stuff that doesn't matter. We don't need to find a new casserole right now. We need to find Christ right now. Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. This indicated that believers will begin to deteriorate spiritually because they are weary in the battle, and so they leave their first love. We just get tired. We just give up. We just quit. We just throw our hands up in the air and say, That's it. The overwhelming spread of evil will discourage some of us and it will destroy others. We push the panic button. We listen to fake news. We distrust the government. We disobey. And this persecution and this despair is going to increase, and I want to tell you what it will reveal. It will show us who the real believers are. I want to tell you the other thing it's going to show us. It's going to show us who the real members of our church are. Not the people that just come Easter Sunday and, and at Christmas, and I'm glad they do, but it's going to show us they will fall away in a time like this because their life is built on sinking sand, not on the solid rock. When you back up into my lifetime when we took prayer out of the schools when we took bible out of the schools and i'm not trying to have a jerry falwell senior moment here i'm just saying it's a sign when we no longer go to a christian worldview based on truth that the world begins to erode and it becomes more and more depraved because we do not have in our culture a true north Every man's doing what's right in his own eyes, and there's no king in Israel. Finally, a crisis demands a Christian response. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 34, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, I've heard people use that and say, see, Jesus didn't always tell the truth. Jesus was just giving false promises and false hope because because generations have passed away. Millennium have come and gone. And still, he hasn't come back. See, Jesus didn't know what he's talking about. He's just a good teacher. He's just a moral leader. He was a good prophet, but he's not God. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up. Because what he taught in this passage found some form of fulfillment. Everything he said about wars, about famine, about earthquakes, everything he said happened before 70 A.D. It happened by the time of the destruction of the temple. Now, if you've printed out the sermon notes that are available to you, you will see this quote, but I want to read it for those that you don't have access to those notes. Verse 34, It demonstrates that everything necessary for Christ's return was accomplished within the first generation of Christianity so that every subsequent generation has been able to believe that Jesus could come back in their times." It should lead us to reject all views that claim to know what's for sure that Christ is returning in a given year, a decade, or century on the basis of some unique event that has never previously occurred in Christian history. The period of time prior to Christ's return will be characterized by a growing polarization between good and evil. I think I could get a unanimous vote right now that we are in a time of growing polarization between good and evil. So what do we do? Give up? uh, Go buy a small arsenal and put bulletproof windows in our houses? Hide in a cave? Have a Y2K response? Jesus didn't leave us to be hopeless are helpless. He told us how to live in this moment. He said in verse 13, "But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved." Jesus is not saying there that if you endure to the end, your good works will get you to heaven. He's saying enduring to the end doesn't earn salvation. It shows we are already saved. Enduring to the end doesn't earn so sal- oh, I've I've done good works, Lord. I should get to heaven. No. It's by grace that we have been saved. Enduring to the end means that we have relied on the hope that is within us in Jesus Christ. That it shows we're already saved. Verse 14. He comes right out of verse 13 about the one who endures and says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. By the time Matthew wrote this gospel, many of these signs had already taken place. But look at what Jesus says. He that endures singular. We are individually responsible to stand firm in our faith, to stand on the word and to respond biblically and to share the gospel. There are no exception clauses on this Great Commission. It shall be preached or heralded to the inhabited world. He's speaking about worldwide evangelism. Say, well, how do we do that? We're in isolation. Well, you get robocalls from people that don't know anything about you. They're spreading their gospel. Your warranty is about to run out. Your social security number has been frozen. Your, your card needs this. Your life needs this. I'm here to sell this. Put me on a do not call. And they still call back. They just get another number. Robocalls are building fear in people and suckering people in because they don't have discernment. What are we doing with our phones? There are more phones in Africa than there are people. Everybody in the world has a phone. Billions of people are connected over social networking. You can send a message around the world on your social media stream in 10 seconds. What are we using it for? Now, honestly, if you're a member of Sherwood, you know I've been beating this drum for a long time that we need to use our social media influence whoever watches us listens us likes us follows us whatever it may be 10 it may be 10000 i don't know how many listen to you and follow you but we need to use that influence to promote joy to promote family to promote the security that we have in Christ and to share the gospel that's what we need to be doing with it as a testimony to all the nations Jesus specifically says that spreading the gospel marks the end. We give the world an opportunity to believe or reject the Christ. Christ commanded his generation our generation to fulfill a worldwide mission. God has given us a commission and there's a promise. There's coming a day. It could be today. Is this pandemic a sign of the end of time? I don't know. But there could be a day. It could be today. It could be this generation that will finish the work that we've been called to do. Here's the sad reality to me the church in Africa, the church in Asia, and the church in Latin America is shaming us by their passionate commitment to the gospel amidst terror, amidst persecution, amidst churches being torn down. They are making us look like weak idiots because we just want to get back to going to Disney World. Hey, I'd like to go back to Disney World, but that's not my purpose in life. That's not your purpose. That's not why God saved you. That's not why God made you the spiritual head of your home. It is to share with this world the faith of Jesus Christ. The church in Acts exploded in growth and they didn't have any of the things that we have. All these things that we think we need, money, literature, mass transportation, and communication, they carried the gospel to the known world and had none of the resources we have. I'll tell you what they had. They had two things. They had prayer, and they depended on the Holy Spirit. The American church is, by and large, prayerless, and by and large, it is works-oriented and a works-driven salvation, and we don't depend on the Holy Spirit until we get those two right we're just going to see these things continue so if these are the last days let me give you some prayer points first of all pray for revival pray for revival first in your own heart I'm praying for God to do a, a fresh work in my heart and then in the heart of your family and of this church and of other churches, for everybody that calls upon the name of the Lord. Pray for revival, that every revival has come in a time of crisis, that this could be used, this crisis could be used. It could be. I'm I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. It could be, it is possible within every generation that we could be the generation that sees the fulfillment of all of this and the coming of Christ. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But if he doesn't come, pray for revival. Pray for others. Die to yourself. Don't, don't make all your praying about me and my four and no more. Pray for others and die to yourself. Give of yourself. Serve where you can. We've put our trust in so many things, but we need to die to ourselves. We need to be sacrificial in our praying, in our giving, where we can serve. We need to take another step in serving right now. Now is no time for weak need Christians. We need to die to ourselves. We need to pray for others. This week, uh, I had the privilege of being on a conference call with a number of our church planners who are spread out all the way from Canada to Seattle to, to Phoenix down to Florida and into New York all, all across America. You, you see there's a difference. Listen, just listen to me for a minute. I'm going to do one of my rabbit chases. There's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. And we've been asking our church family to support Meet the Need so that we can take the gospel to the far reaches of the world. That wasn't just a good idea. Now we're seeing and affirmed it's a God idea because we have church plants in 17 strategic cities on the North American continent. I was on a conference call with a handful of those guys this week just to see how they were doing and just to pray with them. One of our church planters was meeting in a school. That school's been shut down. He can't meet. He said, we're having to be creative about how we even connect with our people. I want to tell you something. Listen, we planted churches in cities for such a time as this. Sherwood is not isolated to Albany, Georgia the footprint, the DNA, the prayers, the giving, the sacrifice of Sherwood is going into Canada, it's going into Seattle, it's going into New York, it's going into Phoenix, it's going across this country because people forgot about themselves for a moment and said, I believe I want to be a part of the Great Commission Church. But we can only do as much as we have resources to do. Right now, we can't take mission trips to those churches. But by our giving to meet the need, by our supporting what we're doing in local missions, what we're doing at the Hope Center, what we're doing to try to help our medical community, what we're doing with food distribution, how we're trying to expand our social footprint, all of that requires energy, time, effort, and sacrifice. Finally, we need to pray for a sense of urgency. We need to be witnesses we don't need to be people that act like we're in the witness protection program we need to be witnesses chapter 24 verses 42 and 44 keep watch be on alert it doesn't mean stand around looking toward heaven saying i wonder if he's coming i'd sure like to see him before anybody else what jesus is saying in light of the fact that i'm coming back you be alert to the opportunities that you have that i have to be the hands and feet of jesus in this world is this pandemic a sign of the end times it's a sign of end times whether this is the end time i can't tell you what if it is or if it's not, what are we going to do in light of where we are right now? Church family, be on mission. Do the right thing for the right reasons. That God may be glorified. His church may grow even when it's in isolation. And that many will be swept into the kingdom, giving their lives to Jesus. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. I pray that uh, somehow I've been able to communicate the urgency, the urgency of the hour in which we live. This is no time for us to try to figure out how little we can do. This is a time for the church to be at her best. And I pray it will be so for me our church family, and for everyone that calls on the name of Jesus. We pray it in the name of our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.